Good morning. It's my pleasure to welcome you all to this service of the Houghton Wesleyan Church, and I would invite you please to stand with me for the call to worship this morning. Teach us, Lord, the way of your decrees, that we may follow it to the end. Direct us in the path of your commands, for there we find delight. Turn our eyes away from worthless things. Preserve our lives according to your word. Take away the disgrace we dread, for your laws are good. Let's pray together, shall we? Dear Lord God, we thank you so much for this, another Lord's Day, when we can gather together and worship as brothers and sisters. Father, I pray that you would teach us yet again to learn how to love one another in ways that are tangible, in ways that help us grow as people, Lord, in ways that bring your kingdom to earth. Go with us through this service, Lord. Help us to worship you with our whole hearts and help us to go out with a desire to serve the needs of others for your kingdom's sake. Amen.
That is our prayer as we join for worship today. It's so great to see you and to welcome those of you who are joining us on the streaming. We do want to apologize for having problems with our camera today and internet, and so all you're getting is audio, but uh, don't adjust your sets. Nothing we can do about it. So, uh, But you can listen. So we're glad that you're a part of this gathering. We want to uh, give you an opportunity, those who are here, to greet one another. But you know when, you, when we're doing the greeting and there's like a little clock that goes off in your mind, we need to stop now? Well, keep going. We're going to do this a little bit longer today. So uh, this is the opportunity to walk across the room or talk to someone you haven't seen for a while. Introduce yourself as we greet one another in the name of Christ. Good morning. As I was reading through this month's uh, highlights uh, newsletter, I was reminded again of the many ways that people in this uh, congregation reach out to our neighbors, Uh, whether it's volunteering at Wellspring Ministries, uh, driving for Meals on Wheels, assisting local families with service projects through Project Grace or giving to the food pantry. But one of the other valuable ways that our congregation reaches out is through Royal Family Kids Camp a ministry that this church has supported now for more than 20 years. Dozens of folks from this church, along with many Houghton College students, have spent a week at camp each summer with some wonderful children. And others have made it possible for those kids to attend camp through their generous financial support. And many more of you have prayed for campers and for staff during that week of camp. For one week in July, children from all around Allegheny County, some of them very close to home here, come for a week of fun at camp. We sing, we play games, we swim, we fish, we have a birthday party and a carnival and a campfire and a talent show. And we hear about God and his plan for our lives. And most of all, our campers, children whose lives have been disrupted by abuse or neglect, hear the message that they are special because they are loved by a heavenly father who will never leave them. One of our campers, and I'll call her Susie, came to camp for the first time in 2015 as a seven-year-old. She was living in foster care at the time, and her counselors noticed that she seemed particularly burdened because she was worried about a younger sibling of hers. Last summer at camp, Susie reported very happily that she had moved back in with her parents, 
but we recently learned that her parents had been arrested on drug charges as well as a number of other violations, and it's likely that Susie is back in foster care. Last summer during swim time, a great little guy I've come to know, and I'll call him Jake, paddled up to me and we started talking. And I mentioned to him that I had just become a grandfather and that I was pretty homesick because I hadn't seen my new granddaughter all week. Yeah, he said, I miss my dad too. He's in prison, so I don't get to see him very often. Then he paused and he said, but I love camp and I love you. Well, fortunately, Susie and Jake returned to camp again this summer where they can relax and have fun and just be kids, knowing that they are safe surrounded by adults who care for them and want good things for their lives. So how can you help make that a reality for these children? Well, first of all, you can pray for them. Now, you may not know their names, but you can pray for the kids of RFKC and for their safety and well-being in some very difficult circumstances. And second, you can give. If you've ever sent one of your own kids to camp, you know it's not cheap. With a gift of $300, you can sponsor one of these children and make it possible for them to enjoy a week of camp. But any gift, no matter how big or small, goes to build positive memories for every child who attends. And finally, we need volunteers. We need several helpers in the dining room to deliver food to the tables. And believe me, the kids will love it when you bring them more pancakes and tacos. And if you enjoy working with crafts, you can help in our activity center. And we can use someone else for the drama team. But most of all, we need counselors. You'll have great fun with two campers, but you won't be alone. There'll be lots of staff alongside you throughout the day to help. But you'll have the privilege of showing God's love to children who desperately need that reassurance. Applications for counselors and staff positions are due by mid-February. So if you're interested, please contact Nancy Murphy. And there's a... uh, insert in your bulletin day that, uh, today that will give you more information. And feel free to talk to me as well if you have any questions about camp or the ways in which you might be involved. Royal Family Kids Camp, I promise you, will be the best week that you will spend this summer. Thank you. Thank you, Doug. That's, uh, that's one of the ministries that our church supports. I hope you've noticed on our mission notes that We have ministries abroad and right close to home. One of the uh, rooms that we can visit this Wednesday night at our mission tour is uh, the local Grace Group, packing food bags for some school kids. So uh, I'm here to remind you that this Wednesday night, our mission tour night, February 1st, 6.15, is not in your routine. I doubt any of you right now go every Wednesday night at 6.15 to Houghton Wesleyan Church. So you've probably said not mine, but I'm here to tell you it's for everybody, young and old. In the community room, 615, it kicks off our mission month, this month of February. You have the insert in your bulletin, and it tells you a little bit more about mission tour night. Two important reminders. First, I've already given you, it's for everybody, all ages. There's quite a variety of places to visit. And then secondly, it's fast-paced, so you do want to be here if possible at 6.15. Now, if you come late, you can squeeze in line and and move on. But if you're here at 6.15, you'll be ready for the whirlwind 15-minute tours to four different rooms. I know there are seven, but you'll get to go to four unless you're a cheater and pick some others and sneak around. But we're hoping to go in group tour groups led by our youth to uh, these spots that will inform you about some of the mission outreach of our church. Hope to see you Wednesday night.
to the, uh, we're having it after this service, we're hosting a potluck dinner in the community room directly behind us. It's a chance to interact with uh, community people and year-round residents that are part of the church and college students who are part of the church. And so if you've signed up, as soon as service is done, head right on over. People are getting things ready. If you didn't sign up, head on over anyway. We always have plenty of food. We'd love to have you there. And it's just an opportunity to connect our lives together uh, a little bit more. So we hope you'll join us immediately following the service. Thank you. The Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah 58. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet 
On the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand with me and sing the doxology. Father, as we come before you this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts to see those 
around us and far away who do not enjoy the blessings with which you have blessed us. Help us, Lord, even in our moments of feeling like we live paycheck to paycheck, or perhaps even more difficult than that, that we are incredibly blessed. Help us to reach out to others, Lord, and we pray now that you would use our gifts, our tithes and our offerings to further your kingdom and bring it here to earth. In your name. Thanks to God for the gift of beautiful music that inspires us. So we turn our hearts to, to prayer. 
to pray a prayer of confession, a prayer of acknowledging how much we need God. Join with me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. We confess to you, Lord, what we are. We are not the people we like others to think we are. We are afraid to admit even to ourselves what lies in the depths of our souls. We do not, however, want to hide our true selves from you. We believe that you know us as we are, and yet you still love us. Help us not to shrink from self-knowledge. Teach us to love ourselves for your sake. Give us the courage to put our trust in your guiding power. Raise us out of the paralysis of guilt and fear. and Take us into the freedom and energy of forgiven people. And for those who through long habit find forgiveness hard to accept, we ask that you would break our bondage and set us free. Through Jesus Christ we pray. As we continue in a spirit of prayer, if you would like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we come today with our hearts full of gratitude for who you are and what you've done. And we come acknowledging our need for you. We think about uh, not only our lives, but this world in which we live. And we, we see, we witness so much brokenness, hurt, and pain. We think of refugees who have no place to live away from their homes and often end up in circumstances that are as difficult and as threatening as the places they left. We pray for people who are struggling with uh, recovering from disasters and, and other kinds of, of kinds of violence into their lives. We pray that you will bring a sense of peace, healing, strength. We pray, Father, for your church around the world, and we, we thank you for the ministry of your people. And we pray, thank you especially today for John and Pat Shea and their years of service. And we ask that you will help them in this new season of their lives, but also to see the ongoing fruit of their lives of ministry. We pray for our brothers and sisters, many of whom live and, and worship in circumstances that require secrecy. We ask that you would set them free from, from the need for this, that you would, you would protect them and that you would ease restrictions and that their witness in the midst of all that they face would bear witness to who you are, even to those who oppress them. We pray, Father, for, for our nation. We sense a great spirit of divisiveness in our nation. We ask that you will bring unity in you. 
Lord, we pray that even with those we may disagree, give us hearts of love and compassion and grace. We pray, Father, for the leaders of our nation, for our president, members of Congress, and the judiciary, and those on the state level and the local level, and ask that you would fill them with the wisdom of Christ to make decisions that are good, particularly decisions that are that are helpful to people who are in need and, and vulnerable and struggling with life. Father, we pray for our church and the churches around us. And today we think of the Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church in Wellsville and Pastor Knitter. Pour out your blessing upon this, this body of believers that they would be united in your love and bear witness to your love in the community and beyond. Father, we pray for the needs that we represent, that we bring with us today. For those who are grieving, give comfort. For those struggling with health issues and the kinds of pain that comes to us in this world, bring healing. For relationships that are broken and fractured, we pray that you will bring reconciliation, restoration. For our concerns, our anxiety about the future, give us peace and the assurance of your presence as we walk in the days ahead. For all of the things that cause us to be afraid, that cause us anxiety, and that cause us to, to, to wonder about you, may we sense you and see you so clear every moment. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ who gives us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
Stand with me for the reading of Christ's message to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. 
This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord.
preside. So I suspect for most of us, the, uh, the word discipline probably has more negative than positive connotations. When we're children, to be disciplined by our parents is not an experience we look forward to. And as we get older, even the idea of discipline has a sense of if something we have to work at, something we have to do that we don't really want to do, but it seems like the right thing to do. And if we could get out of it, we would. But discipline is a part of life. It's a part of accomplishing things. It's a part of making progress. I've been watching the Australian Open tennis uh, tournament that just finished this morning. And one of the things that I keep hearing from them as they talk about certain players is they have great talent. But they never get past the first or second round because they aren't disciplined to practice like they need to. And they aren't disciplined to be as fit as they need to. And so even though they have tremendous talent, they keep losing. And the people, the commentators are lamenting and and, uh, talking about, you know, if they just could figure that out. But as much as we may try to avoid that idea, the subject of discipline, it's huge in the kingdom of God. In this passage we read a few moments ago, Jesus talks about spiritual disciplines. He doesn't list all of them. He doesn't talk about worship. He doesn't talk about solitude or silence or or, uh, accountability and fellowship. He doesn't talk about all the disciplines. But he does talk about three, and I think he talks about them as, as, as an example for us of, of what it means to, to engage in the spiritual disciplines. And he's trying to help us understand that this is connected to the very last verse of chapter 5. It's one of the, one of the uh, drawbacks to having chapter divisions is that we have a tendency to think that when a new chapter starts, a completely new idea starts. But in the original uh, text, there were no chapter divisions. And it was just one thing to the next. And so chapter 5 ends with Jesus saying, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he doesn't mean by that, never make a mistake. He's saying, have that sort of sense of accomplishment, that sense of completion. Have, have the mindset that you want to be like your Father. And you want your Father to make you like Him. And what he said in chapter 5 is basically, in essence, this is what it looks like when that happens. And now as he comes to chapter 6, he's saying, this is how you get there. This is what you do. This is the kind of life you live when, when, you, are, when you want to be like your father. When you want to be like the king of the kingdom. And spiritual disciplines are right at the center of that. He talks about uh, giving, doing good, doing good deeds. And he's saying you, you need to engage in good deeds. In fact, all these things, he doesn't say if you do them. He says when you do He's expecting his disciples to do them. And, and he says to, to engage in good deeds, to, to be people who give of what you have, is really developing a spirit of generosity toward God. And it's a, it's a vital spiritual discipline. Sometimes we see generosity as something we do spontaneously. We are generous because we've been moved by something. We, we, we hurt for someone or, or we see something that bothers us. And, and so we, we are generous and we give to it. And that's good to do that. But it's not really practicing the spiritual discipline of giving. The spiritual discipline of giving is planning it. 
and saying it's a part of my life. In the Old Testament, the spiritual discipline of giving was 10%, the tithe. And God expected his people to do that. He said, he said to them, this is how, this is the spiritual discipline I want you to practice because you need to learn to be generous and to express your gratitude to me for what I've given to you. When you come to the New Testament, no one says, stop doing the tithe. What they say in the New Testament is, that's not enough. Because of Jesus and the amazing gift of Jesus, we ought to be even more generous with what we have. And you develop that spirit of generosity toward God. And that always leads us to being generous toward other people. And we start thinking about our generosity, the spiritual discipline, not just about how it relates to us and God, but the fact that God uses us to help meet the needs of the poor. And people are struggling. And of course, our faith is never just vertical. It's always vertical and horizontal. And in fact, John says in his first letter, if you say you love God and you don't love people, then you don't really love God. It is always, they're always connected. Loving God is always going to come out in loving other people. And so we see that in how we give. He talks about prayer as a spiritual discipline. And we, again, often our prayers are, Lord, help me with this, Lord, help me with that. And we catch prayers in the moment when we feel burdened. And that's good. We should do that. But it should be more than that. It's bigger than that. It's the discipline of prayer that we set aside time every day to pray. Because prayer develops intimacy with God. It's just like in relationships that we have. Would you call it a healthy relationship if you never talked to the person and you never listened to the person? You had no communication? Of course not. What makes a relationship is that you spend time in communication. You make time for communication because it's important to us. That's how good, that's how good relationships are, are built. And there's no different with God. So we listen to God and we speak to God and, and we, we set aside time. We discipline ourselves to do that and to read the scriptures. And again, that also affects our, our relationships with people because the more time we spend with God, the closer in intimacy we get to God, the more open we are with God, the more open we are with other people. And God begins to shape us and open our eyes to see people as they are, as he sees them. That's how the spirit of love develops in us. And then he talks about fasting. I think fasting is sort of like that that um, that awkward cousin that shows up at family reunions. You know that you, you, you're always hesitant: do we invite him or not? Because he's you know he, he doesn't really have good social skills, and he gets you in a corner, and he won't stop talking, and you know, and, he, and he's awkward. He you know he takes more food than he should, and all those things that you're thinking. Oh man, I wish that person weren't here. And you don't know exactly what to do with them, but you don't want to leave them out. I think fasting is sort of like that with us because we don't really know what to do with it. In, in Jesus' day, fasting was a part of their culture. It was a part of the ritual of being Jew, a Jew. But for us, we don't do much fasting, and probably to our detriment. It is a spiritual discipline that that causes us to say, I'm going to not eat this meal so that I can spend time with God. It's not just missing a meal, but it's purposeful. It's a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline because it, it allows us to concentrate that much more on God. To focus our attention that much more on God and to realize that we can give up something we might crave in order to spend time with God that we want to crave even more. 
And when you read the scriptures, particularly the prophets, fasting and justice are often connected. And you read, and we read Isaiah 58 earlier. It's a snippet of that. It says, they say to God, we fasted before you. Why are you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves. You don't even notice it. And God says, that's because when you fast, you're doing it to please yourselves. And even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. Here's the kind of fasting I want. I want fasting that that changes your heart in such a way that you treat people right. You free those wrongly imprisoned. You lighten the burden of those who work for you. You let the oppressed go free. You remove change. You share food. You do these things. That's what fasting leads to. Now, here's the concern that Jesus has about these spiritual disciplines. Not just that we do them, but why we do them motivation. And and his concern for the people he speaks to and for us is that we are doing them to impress people rather than doing them to build our relationship with God and to interact more effectively, more like Christ with people. Jesus is concerned about our motives. Jesus loves hyperbole. You see it in the parables. You see it in a lot of the stories he tells And he talks here about uh, the rich folks coming into the temple and uh, trumpets blaring. And I don't think that's what happened. I don't think that those who were wealthy, when they they stood outside the temple, waited for the brass quartet to get ready, and then the brass quartet broke into music. And then they walk in and they put their coins into the offering and everyone claps and says, Wow, aren't they spiritual? But in the temple, there were seven metal trumpet horn looking things that people would put their money into and of course all the money was coin and the the more valuable the coin the heavier and bigger it was and so you so that you would put your coin in in a coins in a way that people would hear you if you want to impress them you get your coins all your heavy coins together you wait for it to be quiet and you go bam and everyone's like whoa and the parable of the woman, or the story of the woman who, uh, the widow who put in two pennies, when she gets up there and she puts her pennies in, they just go, think, think. And Jesus says she gave more than they did. Because she gave her money to God. They gave their money to get admiration. Now, some people say, well, that must mean that the only money I can give is that no one knows. It has to be totally secret. And that just becomes a game we play. It's just the attitude that we bring what we give. Are we giving to, to buy favor with God? Are we giving and then saying, okay, God, you owe me? Are we giving so that people will be impressed? Or are we giving because we want to be generous? And one of the ways we can tell is after we give, how do we feel about people? Because if you have a spirit, if you give out of a heart of generosity, it will eventually make us more and more generous. He's concerned about why people pray. Some are going out in the street corners and they are simply praying to get accolades and they offer these great eloquent prayers. And there's nothing wrong with offering eloquent prayers. There is something, something very meaningful about spending time thinking about what we're going to pray. That can be a gift to God. But when we do it so the people will be admired, will admire us, it's the wrong spirit. And it doesn't develop intimacy with God. And then he talks about fasting. He says, you know, you're, 
again, wrong motive. You're fasting so people will be impressed. So what do you do? You walk in the room, you're like, oh, boy, man. And you do that long enough, and eventually someone will say, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I've just been fasting for the last four months, and I'm just really having a hard time. Oh, man, but boy, I've had a great time with God, but oh, man. You know, it takes a lot of work, and I'm worn down. And, you know, and people are going, wow, they're so spiritual. They must fast all the time. Like, that's what I was hoping for. And Jesus says, don't do that. Let the only way people know you're fasting is because it changes who you are. Because of your fasting, you become more like Jesus. You're more loving. You're more kind. You're more compassionate. You're you're more thoughtful about the needs that people have. That's what people, that's what we want people to see. Not that you're doing all these things for people to be impressed. It's being salt and light. What's fascinating to me is that Jesus is not afraid to talk about rewards here. Sometimes the whole concept of rewards, spiritual rewards, that makes us a little nervous. Because there are people who use that to say, God will reward you, God will give you an abundance of money if you give me an abundance of money. And even if he doesn't reward you, I'll be happier about it. But we get get nervous about rewards because it feels kind of mercenary. Shouldn't we just do these things because it's the right thing to do? Yes. Does God reward us for doing the right thing? Yes. And he doesn't seem to have a problem with it. He keeps telling us, I'm going to reward you for doing the right things in the right way. He says to the people who are doing these things because they want recognition, that's what you get. That's all you get. I don't think by that he means God standing back saying, I'm not blessing that. I could, but I'm not blessing that. I think God is simply saying, you get what you want. And when you do these things because you want recognition, you get recognition. That's it. But when you want, you do these things because you want to develop your relationship with God, because you want to be more like the king, then you actually begin to look more like the king. And you get the blessing of God. And again, it takes us all the way back to the, to the Beatitudes that are so connected to everything that comes after them. The blessing, the blessing, the blessing. The blessing of freedom. Because quite frankly, when you live your life trying to impress people, it's exhausting. And you have to keep upping the ante. Because what impressed people last month probably isn't going to impress them this month. So you've got to fast longer and you've got to look worse doing it. And and you've got to give more and you've got to make sure people see it more. And and you've got to pray more eloquent prayers and longer prayers because you just have to keep upping the ante. And it's exhausting to do that. It's bondage to do that. And Jesus says to us, let me set you free from that. Just come come to me. Pray. Be generous. Fast and practice the other spiritual disciplines because you want relationship with the Father. And guess what? Your life will be blessed. 
And not just in the days to come when Jesus ushers in the kingdom, but you get to experience that even now. Because you get to experience the presence of Christ in our lives and the blessing and the joy and the peace of God even now. Even when life is a mess all around us, even when we are struggling to do what we're called to do, God is with us and we're becoming more like Christ. There's blessing in that. I worry about rewards is not because Lewis said, C.S. Lewis says, because because we are we have too strong of a of a feeling about them is because our feelings are too weak. We don't really believe that God loves to reward people. That God God's rewards are all that great. And so Lewis says we're like little boys building a building a mud pies in a slum when we've been offered a holiday at the sea. We don't even realize what we're missing. Jesus is trying to help us understand that. He talks about you know, the fact that, Lewis talks about the fact that there, we don't typically equate love and, or, uh, yeah, love and money. If you marry someone for money, we would call that mercenary. But when you marry someone because you love them, that's what it's intended to be. When, when the marriage is, is built on the fact that you want to spend your life with this person, you want relationship with this person, you want to know them and them to know you, and you want to have a solid, loving relationship, that's exactly what marriage is for. There's nothing mercenary about that. It's exactly what it's blessing. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. I'm convinced that all of this eventually comes back to our view of God. Why, why do we... Why do we want so much admiration from people? Because something inside of us says that admiration from people on this earth is better than the rewards that God has promised us. Why do we do do these things thinking that we might even get God's attention in a new way? Because we aren't convinced that God is who He says He is. We aren't convinced that God is loving and good and merciful We have to convince Him to do good for us. We have to cajole Him and beg Him and show Him how serious we are. And then maybe God will do good for us. But the whole premise of the gospel is that God loves to give good gifts to His children. God created us to bless us, to be in relationship with us, and to set us free. And that's really, in a sense, what the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is saying about the Lord's Prayer here. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus, I think Jesus is saying the Lord's Prayer is an acknowledgement of who God is. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're acknowledging you are the King, and there's none like you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is an acknowledgement that there is nothing better than God's kingdom, and the earth would never be in better shape than if the kingdom comes. And when the kingdom comes, and we get to be a part of that. Give us this day our daily bread as an acknowledgement that, that God sustains us and gives us what we need. Forgive us our sins, our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Acknowledges that the only way we could ever forgive anyone is because God has been gracious and forgiven us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil as an acknowledgement 
that God alone is our strength and our help. He is with us. We could get a glimpse of who God is. I think it would change our perspective about the spiritual disciplines and what they can do for us. And really to see them as a gift All my growing up years, my mother taught piano lessons. Most of the time, she had about 30 students a week. That's a lot of bad notes to listen to when you're in the other room. Whew, man. I always pray for those advanced students who did better. I beg you, can I do anything? I'll go mow the grass again. I'll go take out the garbage, anything to get out of this. my My two sisters and I also were my mom's piano students. We took lessons for a number of years from my mom. And I don't normally, I don't normally uh, talk about it. I don't normally play in front of people. But I thought to make a point this morning, I'm going to do that. And in fact, you guys probably are, should consider yourselves privileged because I don't do this very often. But I thought it might, might just be helpful for you to, for me to do this. You have to get warmed up, right? Now, I can play, I can change keys on that too if you want, but I thought that'd just be showing off. That is the extent of my piano repertoire. And my mom's a piano teacher. And the reason I cannot play the piano except for one song with one finger is because I didn't want to practice. I want to be outside. I want to be playing with my friends. I wanted to do anything else. I didn't want to do the scales again. I didn't want to play Carry Me Back to Old Virginia one more time. I didn't want to go through the book with the guys with the little hats on them. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And so I fought my mother every single day. And I banged on the keys. And I slammed books shut. And I whined and I complained and everything I could possibly do for a number of years. My mom put up with that. And eventually, I wore her down, as did my two sisters. None of us play. And she finally said, I can't. When I was in college, I thought about taking lessons again, and then I realized I liked the idea of playing the piano better than I liked the process of getting to playing the piano. I look back on that and I lament. I wish I could play. And I realized what an immature, childish perspective I had about that. And then I realize how often I have an immature, childish perspective about spiritual disciplines. I want to do what I want to do. I'll settle for the tiny, temporary rewards. I'm willing to make mud pies. 
And I miss out on so much more that God wants to give me. And maybe, maybe you do the same thing. Spiritual disciplines are just that. They're disciplines. They're challenging. They push us. They're hard. But they're a gift. Because when we do them in the spirit that they were intended, we actually begin to look like the king. Because he uses them in our lives. Father, thank you for your gift to us. Give us courage. Give us eyes to see what you'd love to do in our lives if we will trust you and let you. Amen.
receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.